I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. And today we're starting a series coming, headed toward Christmas. And you think, wow, we just finished with Thanksgiving. You're right. And Christmas isn't even a month away anymore. And so how do we get ready for Christmas? And how do we celebrate it with the right attitude? Well, this year we want to talk about uh, the Christmas in the terms of the greatest Christmas gift ever. And that's when God sent his son and so we want to look at different kinds of gifts that people give each other and talk about Christmas that way and, and try to unpack, if you will, uh, what kind of gift that God gave us when he sent his son. And so this morning inside your bulletin, you will find inside the, what we handed you, that little packet there, you'll find an outline entitled The Thoughtful Gift. And we're going to talk about how thoughtful God is. And it's important for us to, th- to unpack this and to think about, hey, what kind of uh, God, do we worship anyway at Christmas time? And we worship a very thoughtful God. Uh, what made me think about all this in this series is I've received all kinds of different gifts in my life, and you will see this as we go through, through this series. We'll, we'll unpack all kinds of different gifts here. And um, one, of them that, uh, one of the things is I've received some very thoughtful gifts in my lifetime, and so have you. Some of somebody thought for a long time about something they wanted you to have. It might have been a family heirloom. It might have been... Uh, something that you desperately needed and somebody saved up for it and they couldn't wait for you to get it. And I was thinking about this and some of you, if you've ever, um, uh, some of you have heard, this, heard me tell a story before because you've had lunch with me and I've told it to you at length. But anyway, um, the most thoughtful gift that I've ever had was probably this. It was a uh, wristwatch that was given to me by um, uh, the mother of a friend of mine. He passed away a few years ago. And we would always grab lunch together and uh, have lots of conversations about a whole ranging uh, number of things. And when this friend of mine passed away, his uh, mom, a few months after he passed away, his mom called me. And she's now a senior citizen and other things. And she had said uh, she had a, uh, she said she wanted to meet me and my wife for lunch and talk to us. And so we sat down and had lunch together. And um, she presented me with a gift. And she said, I want you to have this. And uh, my uh, friend's name was Randy, and she said, I want you to have Randy's wristwatch. He loved this watch, and he loved you as a friend. And um, I was thinking the other day how much you had meant to him and how much he meant to you and all the time you had together, so I want you to have his watch so that every time you look at the time, you think of Randy. And it's a really nice watch, and I love wearing it. She couldn't wait for me to have it. I mean, this was her son. She only had one child. And this is something that was very precious to her. And she wanted me to have it. That was a thoughtful gift. What's interesting also is is that um, a few months later, we took a Christmas card picture. And I had worked out before that and had a a wristwatch with a stopwatch on it that I was uh, doing a workout and um, and so we had taken this Christmas card picture, and I had my arm around my wife, and, I had, and you could see that I was wearing a different watch on the Christmas card, so you can figure out where this is going, okay, on the picture. And uh, we sent her one of these Christmas cards. Well, she got the card, and I got a call within about 12 minutes of the postman <laughs> delivering it to the thing. She, she called me and said, John, why aren't you wearing the watch? I mean, I gave you the watch because I wanted you to have it. Don't put it up. Wear it. And so... While I was talking to her on the phone, I put the watch, I made sure, I told her, I've got it all right now. I will wear this all the time. But you know, when God gives us a thoughtful gift, he wants a thoughtful response. And hopefully today, we have a very thoughtful undertaking of what kind of gift he gives us when he gives us Christ and how even he sent a forerunner to tell us that Jesus was coming into the world. 
God's been thinking about sending his son since before time began. It's a thoughtful gift. And today I would like for us to think about it together. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the gifts you give us, and I thank you most of all for the gift of Jesus Christ. I thank you as we head into this holiday season that we can prepare our hearts for Christmas. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak and move me out of the way and remind us of just how thoughtful you are. Lord, I'm grateful that you're always more thoughtful about us than we are about you. And today as we prepare um, our hearts, Lord, I just ask that you would speak. Give us encouragement where we need it. Give us a challenge where we need it. Give us comfort where we need it. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Point one, God gave Zechariah and Elizabeth an amazingly thoughtful gift in their old age. When Luke was writing his account of how Jesus came into the world, he started with a cousin of Jesus, a relative of Jesus, um, John the Baptist who was born, because John the Baptist was going to be a forerunner for Jesus. And he said, well, if you're going to understand Jesus, how the Son of God came into the world, you need a running start. And here's how it came about. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah, and he was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. That's important to remember. They were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations, God's, uh, and, uh, and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and, and they were both very old. Now, one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. There were 24 orders of priests with about 1,000 in each of the orders. And the priests were scattered all over the land of Israel. They didn't all live in Jerusalem full time. In fact, they'd come in there for a tour of duty for a month, and then another, uh, priestly, and then another order would come in the next month. And so during your time, during your lifetime, you would have only several times in your life that you would actually serve in the temple itself. Otherwise, you'd be offering sacrifices, teaching people the scriptures, helping lead worship in all the different places where uh, you served. And then only when you were on duty at the temple, they kind of rolled the dice and by lot, by, uh, they cast sacred lot, and by that they chose who was going to go into the inner sanctuary and offer sacrifices of incense. Twice a day when the sacrifices were offered at the morning sacrifice and at the evening sacrifice, one of the priests had to go into the inner sanctuary right next to the Holy of Holies, and you had a little incense altar there, and you would burn some incense on it. And as the smoke uh, went up toward heaven, it would, people outside would see that, and they would see that the prayers were going up toward God. And the priest would be praying at that time that God would send a Savior into the world, and that he would always redeem his people and forgive them of their sins. So, uh, on the day that Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week, um, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. When Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right of the incense altar, and Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John, and you will have great joy in and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. You must never he must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God, and he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. 
It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe me, believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. And I want to make a couple of observations here. God had been planning this amazing gift to Zechariah and Elizabeth for a long time. Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. And they'd been praying for a long time that they would have children, and they had not yet. They'd also been praying, and Zechariah's duty was to pray for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. And there'd been a Savior that had been promised, and he was praying, like, very likely praying for that while he was in the sanctuary too. And all of a sudden, an angel appears and said, Zechariah, God's heard your prayer. Now, here are a couple of prophecies that were fulfilled when John the Baptist was born. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. That's in Matthew 3, 3. And um, Matthew was quoting this from Isaiah 40, verse 3. That was 680 years before Christ was born. That was 680 B.C. Here's another prophecy from 430 B.C. I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That's Malachi 4. And John the Baptist had been prophesied that he would come. In fact, Malachi was the last prophet before John the Baptist came. It had been 400 years since anybody had heard a word from one of the prophets. And God had been thinking about this that whole time. Here's a life application for you and me. God has been thinking about me for a long time. Now, one of the things that we can uh, get wrong in our lives is that we don't matter to God and that he's not thinking about us. You know, God's been thinking about you for a long time. God had been thinking about sending John the Baptist long before he was ever born. Those prophecies were 430, 680 years in advance. God knew what he was going to do. You saw me before I was born. And it's not just for John the Baptist. This is for all of us. David wrote this, Psalm 139. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And I want to unpack this and talk about, well, how does God think about us and, what, and why it matters um, that God is thinking about you and me? Because first of all, it means that God understands me. God understands me. And I don't want us to forget this. I mean, he's been thinking about us. He's the one who made us. David said, you formed me. You knew every single day in my life before one had ever come to, come to, in, come to pass. You're the one who uh, created me, and you understand me. The Lord is compassionate. This is Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are, and he remembers we are only dust. Oh my goodness, this summer my wife and I had a chance to uh, take a trip to Europe for a couple of weeks. And while we were there, it was so amazing. We would, I mean, one of the greatest things, I wish somebody would have filmed us, us trying to buy a um, subway uh, token in Rome the first day we arrived and everything was in Italian and uh, it was hilarious. Anyway, we didn't know what we were doing and we were trying, we were just watching other people push buttons and, um, uh, and figuring, seeing what came out of the vending device on the wall. And uh, we stood there and didn't know what to do. And finally a person walked up and said, um, excuse me, 
I speak English. Can I help you? I went, oh, you understand us. Praise God. Okay, somebody understands me. If you've ever been in a foreign culture and somebody understands you, you go, oh, finally I can communicate. And a lot of times we feel like God is from a foreign culture that we can't communicate to him. He won't understand me. I mean, he doesn't know, he won't love me. He doesn't get what I'm struggling with. And yet the Bible tells us that God is compassionate and merciful. He loves us as much as a father loves his kids. He knows how weak we are. Can I encourage you today that when God has been thinking about me and why it matters that we talk about God being thoughtful toward us, it's because God understands us. God understands me. Would you say that with me, please? God understands me. And what a comforting, comforting thought that is. I mean, that's why he sent Christ into the world precisely because he knows we need a savior. The next statement goes along with this, that God delights in me. I mean, there might be some of us who will even believe that God understands us, but God delights in me? Yeah, the scripture says so. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. Do you know that God delights in you? I have my kids home for the holidays, um, and we all have had a wonderful time having some great food over Thanksgiving, watching a lot of football, and just laughing. We tell stories. We look at old pictures. Um, and, I mean, it is so much fun. We have been waiting for this day, and when everybody's home, I mean, my wife delights in having the kids home. I delight in having the kids home. I can't wait for them to arrive. I'm sad when they go. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? I delight in my children. Are they perfect? No. Do I remember their teenage years? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know exactly who they are. And they know who I am. And we delight in each other anyway because we love each other. Now, this is one of the things, uh, when I was at Pike Road last week, I, I shared it with the group there, but it's like, this is one of the things that we have to get through our heads. As, a, as an earthly father, I know how much I delight in my children. And yet, sometimes I don't believe that my heavenly father loves me as much as I love my kids. Now, is it possible that I know more about love than God does? Not by one-tenth of one trillionth of a percent. He loves me so much, it's incredible. And yet sometimes I doubt that. And sometimes you do too. And the devil is very clever to let us believe that we are worthless, we are stupid. God might understand me and understand how weak I am, but he certainly doesn't delight in me. Jesus died on the cross for me. He died on the cross for you because he loves us. And it gave him great pleasure. It was worth all the pain and all the agony because he loves us that much. When I talk about a gift and a thoughtful gift that God sent his son into the world and that God demonstrated that even advanced by sending the forerunner, the one who would be like Elijah, a prophet, coming, announcing the way. God had thought about all this far in advance. I'm not only going to send my son, I'm going to send a forerunner. And I'm going to send a forerunner to an old couple that's given up hope that I'll even answer their prayers because I delight in doing things that way and bringing great joy to them. I mean, this will be joy to the whole world, and it'll start with an old couple because they would represent that people have given up on me, and I haven't given up on them. 
God delights in me. Would you say that with me, please? God delights in me. One more time. God delights in me. That means we are not junk, we are not worthless, we are not damaged goods, and God has not given up on us. He understands us, he delights in us, and finally, God has a purpose for me. Now, John, I mean, I'll believe that God understands me because he knows how weak I am. I'll believe that he might even delight in me if you really push it, that just because he loves me and I can't understand that, that he has a purpose for me. God's got a purpose for Mother Teresa. God's got a purpose for Billy Graham. God's got a purpose for some other people, but he doesn't have a purpose for me. You're wrong. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He planned for John the Baptist to be born long before he was born. Think of all the things he planned for you and me. Not just him. This is that he planned for us long ago. That's all of us. God has a purpose for me. Would you say that with me? God has a purpose for me. One more time. God has a purpose for me. Now think if we believe that. Think if we believe that God had been thinking about us just like he thought about that old couple. Just like he thought about sending John the Baptist to them. That God was that thoughtful. That God is that thoughtful for you and me. That he sent his son to die on the cross for you and me. To forgive us our sins. He has placed us where we are. He has a purpose for us. In our family. In our neighborhood. In our world. Good things for us to do. Me. You. Today. This week. Next month. Mind blown. When we start talking about Christmas, that's the way it should be. That God has a thoughtful gift for us. He has things for us to do. He's been thinking about us from eternity past. Not just John the Baptist, not just Zechariah, not just Elizabeth. Because he understands us. He delights in us. And he has a purpose for us. Wow. And this is why we celebrate Christmas every year. The greatest thing ever. God sent his son into the world to rescue us. And even the way he announced his coming was thoughtful. God gives amazingly thoughtful gifts. That brings us to point B. Because he's amazingly thoughtful. How great thou art? Yeah. How great thou art. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? And who, has enough, who knows enough to give him advice? Some of us try. Oh, okay, that wasn't funny to you. It's funny to me. Anyway, oh Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I'd never get to the end of them. And I could go on with many more scriptures. Isaiah 55, you can write this in the margin, verses 8 and 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My thoughts are as high above yours as the heavens are above the earth. They're greater than anything you can possibly imagine. That's how thoughtful God is. 
I mean, it blew me out of the water when this woman gave me something that was this precious to her. And she'd been thinking about it for months since her son passed away. She thought about it all the time. How could I, how could I share this? When somebody gives you a thoughtful gift, a family heirloom or something, they want you to, to know how much they've been thinking about you. Can I challenge us today? Can I remind us today that God's been thinking about you from eternity past? Oh, it can't be. Mm-hmm. It can. God gives amazingly thoughtful gifts because he's amazingly thoughtful. More thoughtful than we'll ever be. Here's a life application, too. We must wait for God to answer our prayers and trust his timing. Now, if we worship a God who's amazingly thoughtful, if he understands us, he delights in us, and has a purpose for us, could it be, and if his thoughts are far above anything we could imagine, could it be that his timing is different than mine? Most certainly. I don't know about you, but here's the way I like to pray. Lord, I need an answer to prayer. What's the delay? I mean, I prayed. I even prayed in the name of Jesus. Why didn't I get it? I mean, this is the way it's supposed to work, right? Well, the Bible tells us this. It says that we are to take delight in the Lord, for he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Mercy. Every time that I have waited on the Lord to answer a prayer, it's amazing how wonderful and thoughtful the answer in the way in which it comes. It's perfect. It's complete. And like Zechariah, I mean, Zechariah had given up hope. And what's so interesting, the angel appears to him and says, Zechariah, the Lord heard your prayer. Your wife's going to have a son. Well, I'm too old now. <laughs> and the angel said, well, because you doubt me, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God himself. You're not going to be able to speak until the baby's born, since you like to talk so much. I mean, what are you doing doubting God? God's more thoughtful than you ever be. He understands you. He heard your prayer. He delights in you. He's going to give you not only a child, it's going to be a forerunner of the Christ. You're a priest, and you've been praying for this Messiah to come. Well, your little boy is going to be a forerunner. He's going to be born in a special way, so that everybody who even hears about it, well, their ears will tingle. It's going to bring so much joy. Because God has a purpose for you, Zechariah, and for that little boy. Now think about this. I mean, you could talk to Elizabeth and Zechariah. Are you angry at God that he didn't answer your prayer 30 years sooner or 40 years sooner when you were young? They go, what are you kidding? Our son's John the Baptist. We have to raise John the Baptist. That's pretty cool. And we get to be in Luke 1. <laughs> and all of it came to pass at exactly the right time. Because we worship a thoughtful God who is amazingly thoughtful. With a perfect gift. Point two, God's thoughtful gift to Zechariah and Elizabeth brought many people to salvation. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. Remember the angel had said he's going to bring much joy? Even from the day he was born, 
people rejoiced. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. I mean, Zechariah Jr. Or Zach, or whatever. You know, whatever they call him. Um, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. That's what the angel had said. What, they exclaimed? There's no one all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. So apparently he couldn't only, not only could he speak, he couldn't hear either. He motioned for a writing tablet, and everyone's surprised. He wrote, his name is John, and instantly Zechariah could speak again. And he began praising God, and awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. And then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. He sent us a mighty Savior, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. John, by the way, means the Lord is gracious. That's the note. That's undeserved kindness. Merciful, compassionate. God knows how weak we are. He understands us. He knows we need a Savior. He delighted in sending his son. So much he not only delighted in sending his son, he delighted in sending a a herald, a harbinger, somebody who would come in front of him and prepare the way. And God has a purpose for me and for you. He had a purpose for John. He had a purpose in sending his own son into the world to make a relationship with him possible. And what's so incredible is Zechariah, he couldn't speak for nine months, and after that, you couldn't shut him up. And you, my little son, you will prepare the way for the Most High. And everybody you heard about it rejoiced. There's a life application, I think, that applies to you and me here. We must give careful thought how we reflect. We can reflect God's thoughtfulness to others. A thoughtful gift requires a thoughtful response. Randy's mom had every right in saying, where's the watch? I gave it to you. Now use it. Zechariah received a thoughtful gift, and Gabriel was insulted that Zechariah would doubt it. And when he could speak, Zechariah didn't waste a syllable. He wanted everybody to know exactly what was going on with his little boy. John didn't waste anything either. He did make way for the Lord. He prepared many people's hearts so they could find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. And now it's up to us. How can we reflect God's thoughtfulness? I mean, we've received a wonderful gift. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, for yours. There's new life in his name. If you you and I have experienced new life through Christ, well, you know what I think? I think the Lord tells us, when when he told us, hey, I want you to make disciples, I think part of that is he wants us to communicate these things to our friends and neighbors too, that God understands us, that he delights in us, and he has a purpose for us. I mean, do you know that people are looking for this all over the world? They're looking for meaning and purpose in life. They don't believe that anybody delights in them. And some people believe that God hates them and doesn't get them. And we can be the ones who can help them find salvation through forgiveness of sins. Why wouldn't we want to pass this gift on? Why wouldn't I want to wear this and let everybody know about my friend? 
If you understand that, then you understand the way Paul wrote. Here's the way Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Look, Timothy, if you keep yourself pure, you'll be a useful utensil for honorable use. Your life, your life will be clean, and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. I'm glad that was all in Bible times. We don't do that anymore. Anyway, um, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach. Be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they'll learn the truth. And then they'll come to their senses and escape the devil's trap. For they've been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. I mean, when Paul's writing to Timothy, he's going, Timothy, keep yourself pure, and that way you can be a useful utensil because God has a purpose for you, just like he did for John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist couldn't drink wine or any fermented drink and other things he was supposed to be set apart his whole life. Well, Paul's telling Timothy, hey, you live that way too. Keep yourself pure. Don't get in foolish arguments. Don't go off on crazy things. Don't, get, don't post hurtful stuff on Facebook. Well, that was my adaptation of that. But what if we thought that way? What if we really said, hey, God, you've given me a wonderful gift. God, I know you understand me. God, I know you delight in me and you have a purpose for me. Help me share that gift with others. Let me tell everybody about it. Because I want them to know that God delights in them too. I think then we'd all have a pretty Merry Christmas. God's given us the most thoughtful gift ever. And thoughtful gifts require a thoughtful response. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for, you were so thoughtful not only in sending Christ in the world, but you were thoughtful even in how you announced it. You sent John the Baptist to, to make way, to be the herald of the truth, a messenger sent in advance. And God, I just pray that we would um, embrace the truth that you are thinking about us, that you are thinking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. You had foretold John the Baptist coming hundreds of years in advance. And when it came, Zechariah was too good, was too good for him to believe. And Lord, I just pray that um, you'd increase our faith. I thank you when Zechariah could speak, he made up for lost time, and he told everybody about the wonderful news that Jesus was coming and his little boy was going to play a part in that. Lord, I thank you you have plans for our lives just like you did for that old couple. Forgive us, Lord, when we try to run our own lives and don't consult you about decisions. Forgive us, Lord, when we selfishly try to do things on our own. Lord, remind us that you made us. You love us. You delight in us. I pray, Lord, we'd embrace that. At times, especially at times when we don't feel lovely and we're very aware of how weak we are. We thank you that you forgive us of our sins. We thank you that you're the one who empowers us to live righteously. And so I ask that you do so. And I ask that you do this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The one whom John the Baptist made a way for. In the name of this Jesus, together we pray. Amen.